thank you so much for bringing James and Jess to us. Lord, we thank you for all that you've put on their hearts. Lord, we thank you for the word you've given James this morning. And we pray that you will anoint him with your spirit as he brings that word to us. And Lord, we ask that you will give us hearts and minds that receive that word from you and act on it. That we don't forget what we hear, but we go and act on it to your glory. In Jesus' name. Bless you, James. Bless you. Morning, folks. Morning. Just before I get going, it'd be helpful uh, to remind ourselves of a passage elsewhere in Scripture that I'm not reading today, but I thought it would be good to hear. So Dick's just going to read for us Galatians 3, 26, 28, so that it's fresh in mind. It's not what I'm preaching on, but it'll be helpful for us later. Thanks, Dick. Thanks, Dick. Um, Morning, especially if you're a visitor here today, it's great to have you with us here at New Life. Uh, I'm James, a part of the leadership team uh, here at New Life. Um, It's good to have you with us. I hope you feel at ease uh, amongst us. Uh, We're in the middle at the moment of a a series on 1 Corinthians, looking at what it means to be a a community that's shaped by uh, the gospel. Um, Before I get into that, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 11 uh, today. Uh, verses 17 onwards, so do flick there if you've got a Bible. Don't worry if you don't, it'll appear up on the PowerPoint uh, when I read it. Uh, but just to give you an uh, update on a few things, uh, if you're a visitor here, I, I've, I'm Jess and I are Johnny-come-latelys, really, to the New Life Party. Um, we just uh, started serving the church full-time um, about at the start of this month, actually. We're a month in now. And uh, thoroughly enjoying it. Just to give you a bit of information about, we started to get a little bit of a pattern of the week. Mostly our, our Fridays are a day off when we kind of take a Sabbath. Um, and you know, Saturdays are kind of family days. Um, uh, we've sold our house as well, which is great. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Thanks for your prayers with that. Really appreciate it. Do continue praying now as we look to God to provide a, a place for us to live as a family, but also to welcome you in as church family and uh, trust that God has somewhere that will be a place that's special for us all, um, where we eat around the table together and enjoy fellowship and time and family life together. So do continue praying uh, for that. Um, Looking ahead to uh, Christmas, I know it seems far away, but we're in the midst of planning it already. Um, The Christmas uh, light switch on is going to be happening at the end of November, um, 29th I think is the date. And uh, we really want to um, get in amongst the community and be there for that evening. The community really kind of gathers together for that. And so uh, we want to do something to let them know that we love them and to invite them along to hear uh, about the gospel and what Christmas is about um, in December, close to Christmas Day on the 22nd. So we've got an outreach meeting uh, on the 22nd where we'll be inviting the community to come and celebrate Christmas with us. So on that Christmas light switch on, um, there's going to be a gang that are going to be beavering away for the next couple of months, uh, making gifts to give to people, um, kind of Christmas tree decorations. Uh, Anna um, Ayres is organizing that for us. So around her house every Thursday from this week onwards, if you're crafty and nothing like me, then Anna's is the place to gather to to make those together. Because we want to, just as we've freely received from Jesus... 
and we celebrate that at Christmas, we want to freely give. Uh, so just give a gift to people that night and an invitation to our, our meeting on the 22nd. Um, so we'll be organising that in the next couple of months, and I'm sure we'll let you know more. But just if you're interested craft-wise, Thursdays, uh, Anna's. Uh, I wonder if you're, if you're a visitor this morning or if you're just new to Christianity. Um, maybe you've been to church where you've heard that Christians eat bread and drink wine. And what's that all about? <laughs> Is it because we're all hungry um, or thirsty? You just need a little something Sunday morning to get you going in worship? No, it's, it's not that. Uh, is it? Maybe you just think kind of it's archaic. You know, a bit of a kind of religious ritual that just seems to have stuck around. One of these things from times past that just seems to have stuck. Uh, I wonder what you make of what uh, breaking bread, eating bread and drinking wine at church is all about. Well, this is a, a good Sunday for you to be here. Uh, the passage is all about eating bread and drinking wine together and why the church does it. So hopefully as you listen this morning, it will give us a good idea and us as a church family will remind us of why we eat bread and drink wine uh, together and why Christians across all churches uh, do that. Um, So a bit of background to the passage uh, that I'm going to be reading. The Corinthians, along with the early church, had regularly broken bread, eaten bread and drunk wine together um, as a church family. It was something that Jesus did with his disciples Um, often over a meal, and that was the way that the Corinthians likely did it as well. In fact, they definitely did it, given what he says in the passage. Um, Probably not together, not the bread and wine at the same time, but possibly the bread earlier and the wine later on, mixed in with a meal that they would be having together as a community, as a church family. Um, And so that was their kind of common practice and something that Jesus did with his disciples uh, at what we think was the Passover. The wealthy among the Corinthian church um, were hosting these meals, these gatherings of the church in their homes. And we don't quite know how it's happened, but the rich and the poor have become divided during those meal times, And the rich have kind of ended up eating on their own um, and gorging themselves on the food they're able to provide, while those who had nothing weren't able to bring the same contribution to the table and so ate probably elsewhere um, alone by themselves while the rich uh, kind of went ahead with their meal. And so there was a cultural division in society, sociological distinction of rich and poor. Corinth was quite a class-based society. And so that was being carried into their meetings together as a church. And that distinction of rich and poor was carrying on in this meal together. And so the rich were having these private meals uh, while the poorer members uh, weren't. And the effect is that Paul tells them that their meetings do more harm than good bit of a damning indictment, isn't it? Um, so let's, uh, let's have a look at the passage. So we're in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 17. It's the end of the chapter. Do I need to move my microphone? Am I ringing around? Sorry about that. Let me sort that out. So. Is that a bit better? Great. Um, so this is the the passage. Tom, can we have the passage up on the PowerPoint? All right. Uh, But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, it's for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe in part, for there, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine 
among you be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal, one goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you, dis- do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he'd given thanks, he broke it. And said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he uh, also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For... As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let me eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. Uh, we're going to do uh, communion a little bit uh, different this morning. Um, we're going to do something that the Corinthians did. We're going to eat the bread uh, now together when I make my first point, because it's uh, got a lot to do with the first thing that I'm going to say. And then later on, we're going to have the wine as we go back into worship at the end of the talk. So I wonder if those who are going to serve uh, communion for us uh, would just come up and, and give a hand. Um, while I'm speaking and, and making the first point, the bread's just going to come round. Um, so just take a bit and just hold on to it. We're going to eat the bread together um, when I get to the end of the first point. Is that all right? So take the bread, pass it on as, as you go. Would you guys mind? Chris, do you want to do this side? Stuart, do you mind doing that side for us? Oh, bless you. Grand. Uh, so uh, we're going to have a look at what the Lord's Supper Um, tells us in terms of where should our attention be? What should we be looking at? What should our focus be? Um, Where should our mind be? What should we be thinking about? Have you ever done that? You're sat in church taking the bread and wine. Lots has happened on a Sunday morning. You get there and there's this plate of bread in front of you and you think, "Uh, what am I meant to be thinking now? I must do something that's sincere and important. And and, then you try and focus your mind and you're like, "Uh, yes, Jesus died for me. (laughs) Kind of scramble there in your mind. Do you ever get that experience? Well, this passage helps give some context for what we should be thinking about as we break bread together. Um, the first thing um, that Paul says is look around. Um, Paul takes issue with the Corinthians carrying these old um, sociological distinctions of rich and poor into their gatherings together. They'd created like a form of elitism. Um, that con- contradicted the entire point of Jesus' sacrifice and his death on the cross for us. Because as Dick read, the point of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross 
was to bring us all together as one. It's something that Jesus had prayed in the high priestly prayer in John 17, that we are people who have differing languages, different nations, different personalities, different educational background, different status, different reputations, um, whatever it might have been that distinguished us culturally, that that kind of people would be brought together as one. That people, whether we were male or female, slave or free, whatever our nationality was or whatever our wealth might be, we would be together as one. Ephesians 2.15 talks about the one new man in Christ. And later in 12.13, Paul's going to say, remind everyone that we are baptized into one body regardless of all the other distinctions. So in verses 18 and 19, if you just flick your eyes there, he acknowledges, just as Jesus did, that these days between Jesus having ascended up into heaven and him coming back again, which Jesus called end times, will be characterized by division. So in part, he says, these divisions um, are a way of testing and proving the genuine faith of some. He says the, the, the division is not a good thing, but it is an inevitable part of the process of controversy. And what he's doing is he's placing this issue of the divide between rich and poor in the larger grand kind of divine drama, if you will, of the distinction between those who know Jesus personally and enjoy a relationship with him, to who Jesus will say, I knew you, and those to whom we who don't know Jesus to whom Jesus will say, depart, I never knew you. So, when you come to eat bread and wine, one of the the things we say is, you know, if you're not Christian here today, you haven't decided to follow Jesus, then just let it pass by. Uh, Don't feel like you have to take part with us. Um, This is for something, uh, for us as a church family, for those who are Christians. Because the one distinction that matters is whether you know Jesus or not. Because in the body of Christ, no other distinctions truly matter. Um, So the Corinthians' practice was totally incompatible with the whole point of Jesus' death. It made a mockery of the one bread representing one body together. The one loaf that was meant to proclaim our unity together. That was talked about in chapter 10 verse 17 that I preached on a couple of weeks ago. One writer calls it a sham act of hypocrisy. And Paul writes in verse 20, it isn't even the Lord's Supper that you eat. You're not even doing actual communion because you're totally neglecting and making a mockery of the point of it, which is to bring us together despite our distinctions, together as one family in Christ. Surprisingly, you think Paul would tell them, don't have your lavish private meals. Don't eat loads of food together. He doesn't say that. He says, don't, don't go and eat with your wealthy friends. He actually says, go and, go and do it, but do it privately. He doesn't attack them either for their lack of concern for the poor, which you think he would in this passage, wouldn't you? They're totally shaming the poor amongst them. You think he'd like, really give them a hard time for that? But he doesn't. The thing he gives them a hard time for is they've totally neglected the point of the meal, which is to bring us together as one body, sharing in one loaf. So there's a place to live in the world, to live amongst the distinctions that are made between rich and poor. 
educated and uneducated, black and white, whatever the divisions might be. But in the body of Christ, there's to be no such distinctions because we're one body who share in one bread. Which got me thinking, and a, a question for us, are there any common cultural distinctions that are made out there in the world that we carry into our life together as a church? And that's one for us to, to think about. When I was thinking about it, thinking you know, broadly across the evangelical church in the UK, what are some of the patterns that, that could be crossed over from worldly distinctions, cultural distinctions, to into the church? Maybe one of educational or class distinctions, the kind of education you had. Could there be things that we do in church life, language that we use, the way we go about doing things, that make church life and being part of one body inaccessible to somebody if they haven't got a particular educational qualification or standard of education? That was one I thought was an interesting one that maybe carries across a little bit. Um, the other ones, maybe church background, you know, your church history and tradition. If somebody comes from a different church history or tradition and they come and join us, is there anything that happens in church life that makes it difficult for them to be a part or make them feel like they have nothing? Or perhaps based on age, is there anything we do in church life that makes it difficult for young, not so young, and everything in between, able to be part of one body together. So the first thing we do when we break bread is we look around. We celebrate our union together in Christ, that we're one body, regardless of all the cultural distinctions that would otherwise be made. Should we eat the bread together and celebrate that just as we, uh, as we think on that? Uh, the second thing um, that Paul does, thanks Tom, save me doing it. Um, the second thing that Paul does, verses 23 to 26, is he tells us to look back. I've forgotten how difficult it is to preach while you're eating. <laughs> I've done it a few times, I always regret it. Um, <laughs> um, so, verses 23 to 26. Verse 23 Their meals aren't consistent with Jesus' teaching and example, and therefore he reminds them of the time that Jesus broke bread and share communion with the first time with his disciples. Verse 24, he says, this is my body. He's not talking about his literal, actual presence at the table, uh, uh, his actual physical body. His, uh, his actual presence is already at the table, but he's using a kind of imagery. Um, so if I held up a picture of my gorgeous wife, Jess, and I showed you the picture, it, it, and I said, this is my wife, uh, the picture actually isn't my wife. She's not a shiny piece of card. Um, but she's, she's in the picture. She's, it's an image of her. Um, if I threw the picture of Jess on the ground and stamped all over it, it would be a kind of shock, wouldn't it? <laughs> it would kind of be offensive, I would have thought. <laughs> Jess might be slightly offended, storm out, and you think, oh, um, there's issues there. Um, and uh, Jesus is saying the same about the bread and the wine. There's, it's an image. It's uh, a symbolic pictorial uh, language a symbol of his actual physical, his spiritual presence uh, with us as his people. Um, Paul reminds them of Jesus' words to remind them that it is Jesus himself 
and his sacrificial death as their example and template for living that they stamp all over when they disregard others by coming together. It's like they're taking Jesus himself and his example of laying down his life for others and just stamping all over it by carrying across the distinctions of rich and poor into this meal together. And he reminds us, uh, uh, Paul here, that Jesus has died on our behalf. He's died in our place. That when he was on the cross, he was dying a death that we deserve to die because he had taken on the sin of the world. The things that you and I have done wrong that really only we know of and God, he died for them there on the cross in our place, putting them to death, shed his blood so that we wouldn't have to shed ours. So when we eat this meal, it's not simply a memory of him, but it's a memorial meal of all that he is and all that he has done for us, for you and for me. So that's the second thing. When we take bread and wine together, we look back and we celebrate and thank Jesus for all that he did for dying for us in our place. Uh, The third thing in verse 26 is we look out. Um, Jesus likely gave those words of instruction at the Passover meal with his disciples. Um, They looked forward to the coming of a Messiah, the Saviour. It was Israel's way of um, proclaiming to the neighbours and to the nations that their God was the one true God and the saviour of all, to remind them that he, had, he was the one who'd brought them out of Egypt from slavery into freedom. And so Jesus institutes this uh, eating of bread and drinking wine in that context. So when we break bread, we're to do the same. We're to look out and proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah come. He's the saviour of the world. And to tell the nations, to tell the neighbourhoods that there's one true God and his name is Jesus Christ. And he's come and died to save us from our sin and from ourselves. So we look out. Uh, Verse 26, the intent is to proclaim the salvation that is ours through Jesus' death. That brings us into adoption into God's family together as one. Um, That was the case uh, with the Corinthians, with communion. There were people amongst them who weren't Christians. Um, When they had these gatherings, these mealtimes, people who didn't know Jesus, visitors were in amongst them. And so the application for us is that when we break bread and eat, uh, drink wine together, that we would do the same. At some point, somebody is going to verbally proclaim the gospel together as we eat the meal because that's what they were doing they were proclaiming the good news about Jesus being their saviour in breaking the bread and drinking the wine so that's the principle the actual words we might use whether we read a passage of the bible or a part of the gospel that we explain or one of these that we focus on doesn't actually matter too much but the important thing is that we proclaim the gospel the good news of Jesus our saviour dying for us on the cross at some point um, it's really good that we, we sometimes have outreach meetings, as I said, we'll have one at Christmas. Um, they're a great time to invite folks in and say, come and hear what Christianity is all about and what we're about as a church uh, and why we meet together. Um, especially at times like Christmas and Easter, 
Um, but really, we long for Sunday gatherings where, regardless of which Sunday you turn up on, you know that the gospel about Jesus is going to be preached. And that if you invite somebody along who's a friend, who doesn't know Jesus and isn't a Christian, like you may have this morning, you know that they're going to hear about Jesus and all that he's done for us on the cross and rising again. That's our aim in preaching. We want to make disciples and teach the church, teach us together so that we can learn to follow him better. And we want to be inviting others to do the same and to follow Jesus and be a disciple of his too. So whilst old, distinct, cultural distinctions don't count, there is a distinction that matters. Have you followed Jesus? Have you obeyed him? And following his command to get baptised. Now we're going to be baptising Bev at some time. Where's Bev? Bev in the room still? There you are, Bev. We're going to be baptising Bev soon. She says she wants to follow Jesus. And so we're going to baptise her. Um, which is a great thing, isn't it? be a good family time. We're just trying to arrange the practicalities of that at the moment. So if, if you haven't been baptised, if you're, you're not certain you're a Christian, you're following him. Just let the bread and wine pass by when you're with us. Otherwise, let's join in together with that. Uh, the fourth thing Paul does in verse 26 is say, look forward. It says, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, we... Jesus wants his followers to participate in this meal, looking forward to when Jesus returns, anticipating his return. This, this meal that the disciples are eating is not just a kind of memory of something that happened 2,000 years ago. It's proclaiming that something is the case right now, that Jesus died, but he rose again. He came back to life. He appeared to over 200 people, was it 200, 500, 500, yeah, 500 people at one time. And he's ascended into heaven and he is now seated, like Nigel was praying earlier, seated in heavenly places on a throne. He's reigning and ruling right now over the whole of the world. Everything that happens in all of creation, all the time, is always in his control. He's seated there now, reigning and ruling over all. And one day he's going to come back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. So we eat the bread and drink the wine to proclaim Jesus is coming back again. He's reigning and ruling now. He's going to come back and he's going to consummate his victory over sin, death, the devil and all of evil forever. There'll be no crying, no pain, no tears anymore because Jesus will be ultimately victorious forever. Amen? So we look forward to Jesus coming and we celebrate that he's coming again. Uh, the fifth thing we're going to do is look within. Look within. Uh, verses 27 to 32, um, Paul says a whole number of things. One of the things he says, he, he calls us to examine ourselves, to discern the body, and not to participate in an unworthy manner. So what does, what does this mean? There was quite a, an unfortunate translation of this passage um, in one of the earlier versions, very popular, that said this, who, who for, uh, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So what does... Um, verse 28 mean when he says examine. What he's saying is look within ourselves and examine and test our attitude and behavior towards each other. 
Just as the Corinthians had been shaming one another because of their divide of rich and poor, look, around, look within yourself and think about your relationships with those in the body that you're one with. Think about your relationships with them. Don't eat communion together whilst disregarding the relationships you have with each other and any unforgiveness that's there. Maybe things that you need to ask people forgiveness for, church family, or things that you haven't forgiven somebody for. What he's saying is don't let the hurts and the pains that often go, come along with church life, because we're a family, <laughs> so family stuff goes on, yeah? Um, if you grew up with brothers and sisters and with parents, all was probably not well all the time. And that's the case in church family life as well. You know, the church is full of all sorts. <laughs> you, me and you included. And so things are gonna, not going to go great at times and we'll sin against one another. But we need to ask for forgiveness and to be quick to forgive uh, one another. Totally lost my place. I got carried away. Um, we need to check that we fully understand the unselfish sacrifice of Jesus for others. That he came down from heaven, stepped down, humbled himself, lived a life like you and I, so that we could enjoy relationship with him, be reconciled to God, and live eternally in heaven. He's laid his life down. And we need to check that we've applied Jesus' example to our lives and followed him in that. Just as Jesus laid down his life for us, are we laying down our life for others? Are we, just as Jesus has forgiven us of everything we've ever done, are we forgiving others ourselves? So eating without consideration of your relationships with one another dishonors Jesus, and it dishonors as well his death and resurrection to bring a diverse people together as one body. Um, the Corinthians' approach had led to Jesus' judgment, his discipline, which Paul prophetically identifies as having some actual physical consequences. That's why in the tricky bit where he talks about them being weak, ill, and died, it's not kind of like a karma. You didn't eat communion well one day, the next day you're ill. And he's not talking about that. He's talking about Jesus' judgment over the church as a whole and the way that they're sharing the meal together, dishonoring uh, Jesus and his example. And so uh, one writer says, one man's bread is another man's poison. The Lord's discipline in verses 30 to 32 is his mercy to us to alert us to sin and leading us to repentance. So what's the application then? When we come to break bread together, there must be absolutely nothing between us if we're to really be celebrating the meal as one body. Nothing between us. If you've got a grievance with somebody else in church family that you're breaking bread with, you need to settle that by either asking them for forgiveness or forgiving them, whatever it might be, whether it's something done to you or something you've done to them. Forgiveness needs to be sought so you can be reconciled together, to break bread together. That's what Paul means when he says examine ourselves. Because we're not united by our common wealth. We're not united by public standing or reputation. We're not united by gender, background, 
which uh, sex we're attracted to, what the color of our skin is. We're not um, united in any of these things. The only thing we're united in is our union with Christ together. Jesus says, first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So that's what Paul means. When he says in verse 33, just have a look at that. It's a really important verse in the passage. Verse 33, wait for one another. Or in some of the versions you might read, receive, welcome one another, accept one another. What he's saying is just wait for one another. Ask for forgiveness or or forgive uh, a brother or sister before entering in to eat bread and drink wine. It might just be that as you come to eat the bread and drink the wine, you think, actually, there's somebody I need to reconcile with. And you might determine to go and do that after we've eaten together. Um, Do the band want to come back up? We're going to break, uh, share wine in a second. Uh, I've just got a bit more uh, to speak about. Chris and Stuart, would you mind serving the wine to to the band first, just while I'm carrying on speaking, and then when I'm finished speaking, we'll, uh, We'll pass the cup as we, as we worship. Uh, verse 27, um, Paul says that by not considering others in church and our relationships uh, with them, Paul goes as far to say that we've put our place ourselves in the place of those who put Jesus to death. So, <laughs> it's got a heavy that, isn't it? You can imagine that if you take the original translation interpretation of that verse and you understand, examine yourself, discern the body, um, etc., to mean an intense personal introspection of your sin in the last week, and whether you've asked for forgiveness or not of it, you can imagine how quite easily this table here, the bread and the wine, becomes a place of judgment for you. Because... um, that sense of, have I been good enough this week? Have, have I done enough? Just trying to scour your mind for the sins you committed that week. And this table quickly becomes a place of condemnation rather than a celebration of the grace that we've received in Christ, that Christ died for sinners, you and me, for everything we've done. And celebrate that together having forgiven one another and reconciled to each other. Uh, Acts 2.46 says the church broke bread with glad and generous hearts. I mean, that really rides roughshod over the idea of personal introspection when it comes, you know, the the early church weren't sat there kind of thinking, what sins do I do this week? Crumbs. I do not want to be in the... I mean, you don't, do you? You want to be in the place of those who crucified Jesus. You know, what sins do I, and he's, you know, and getting all tied up in knots. No, communion is a time for us to acknowledge our relationships with one another and reconcile to each other and to ask for forgiveness just as Jesus has forgiven us, to give forgiveness just as he has forgiven us, rather. So we look within, check ourselves and our attitudes to one another. And the final thing, which um, isn't in the passage, but you know, time ticks up well, uh, is look up. <laughs> I've stolen this from, um, I should credit him really, is a guy called Dan Nacelli. He wrote a 1 Corinthians commentary and he had these six things. Um, 
he attributes look up to a verse in chapter 10, verse 16, about union with Christ, which I don't think is quite the point of that <laughs> passage. But nevertheless, I think it's a good thing for us when we break bread to look up and to celebrate our union with Christ. That when we come together as a family, the thing that brings us together is that Christ has brought us together as a family in his body, sharing one bread, drinking from one cup. We all have in common that we've been baptised, gone under the water, died with Christ, come out of the water, been raised to life with him, so that we could be together as one in Christ. Again, it's not our colour, it's not our language, it's not our educational background, it's not your sexual orientation, it's not your family history, your church background, it's not your gender, your hobbies, none of that. The thing that brings us together is Jesus, dying in our place for our sin, rising again from the dead, so that we could follow him in that through baptism and be together as a family, celebrating him and all that we have in Christ. Amen? Amen. So um, as we worship together now, uh, we're going to pass the cup and share in the wine together as one, as a family. Uh, three things for us to consider while we're doing that, off the back of what I've just said, is are there distinctions that you think we're carrying into church life or that you personally are carrying in to our life together that are distinctions that Jesus just doesn't recognize in his church, whether that be educational background or age or wealth or whatever it might be? The second, is there anything between you and somebody else in the church family that you need to forgive them for or that you need to ask for forgiveness for? Um, And thirdly, it might be that you've been exploring Christianity for a while, you've maybe been hearing about Jesus and you're deciding you want to follow Jesus. Then this is a time to reflect on that. To commit, I mean, there's nothing special, to be honest, you have to do to follow Jesus. In your heart, say a prayer to him. Jesus, I'm sorry for the things I've done wrong. Thank you for dying in my place. I commit myself to following you and your example. And then come and speak to me afterwards. We'd love to talk to you about baptism and what it means to follow Jesus um, authentically. Shall we stand and get ready for worship? Lord, we, uh, we want to thank you uh, for bringing us together as a family. We've got lots to celebrate. We celebrate our union with you now. That The one thing that we all have in common here is that we're in Christ. Jesus is the one who's died in our place for our sin, risen again to life so that we'll be raised too, so we can live with him as a family together for eternity. And we look to you now and we worship you and we thank you for shedding your blood on the cross for us as we pass the cup. In Jesus' name. Amen.